Welcome to Healing Place Church, where our mission is to be a healing place for a hurting world. Listen each week for updated content and be sure to share with your friends. We hope this podcast is a blessing and a resource to you as you pursue God daily. I'm honored to be here. I get the privilege and the honor to serve as our, as our uh, youth pastor here at our Highland Campus. And so I get to serve with all of our 7th through 12th graders. And uh, that's why you see a little bit of silver on each side. It is uh, as stressful but as bountiful and blessing as you could imagine. Uh, but I absolutely love it. And uh, so thankful to be a part. Uh, today I want to I wanna honor my wife. It is our 6th year anniversary. Come on. We got married on this day six years ago, and uh, I don't know if she regrets it. I surely don't. Um, but we, we met at, at Healing Place Church in, in our summer internship program for students. So if your students don't want to come to conference or internship, tell them, hey, you may, you may meet your spouse there. You might want to go. And so uh, absolutely excited about that. We have a little boy named Elijah. And he is three years old and needs saving from uh, my wooden spoon. And the Lord needs to meet him where he's at. So y'all pray for him. And then we have a, a six-month-old daughter named Eleanor. We call her Ella. And she is, um, she steals our sleep, but she's beautiful. So uh, excited to be here today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, it says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home, and after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone, and meanwhile the disciples were in trouble far away from land. For a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning... Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Y'all with me? Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and in their fear, come on, somebody say, in their fear. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. If you're taking notes today, which in devoted, we take notes. It's all the crazy students. You got to give them something to do while the sermon's happening or they're like, hey, 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 hey. And it's, it's awesome. But if you're taking notes today, my title for today's sermon is Meeting in the Middle. Meeting in the Middle. God, we love you. We thank you for today, Father God. Thank you so much that we are part of a church, a part of a house. God, that is true to your word, God, that we, we worship you, we praise you. God, I pray that as I speak today, Lord, it'd be all about you and nobody else. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. You know, I have this fear, and um, sometimes, I don't know if you're like this, but for me, as I get older, I hope that certain fears go away. Are you like that? You think, okay, when I reach this age, this fear will go away, or when I finally reach this milestone in my life, this fear will finally exit my life, but it's happened with me ever since I started driving and had the ability to go through a drive-through. And 
I can pull up to Chick-fil-A or if, I, if I'm feeling really, really down about my life, I can go to Taco Bell or go somewhere and I can pull up and I can order some food and I'm not kidding you, you can ask my wife, you can ask some of the students that have ridden with me in the car. Every time I order, they will finish the order and say, that is 573, ma'am. And every single time I'm like, I don't even want to eat now. I've lost my appetite. I don't. But every single, and I've tried the whole, <clears throat> I'd like a number four. And, my, and Brooke will look at me like, you sound like a total creeper. But it happens over and over and over again. And, and I thought that as I got older, maybe that it would change. And, I, and one day I just got so fed up and I'm like, babe, do I sound like a girl? Just tell me. Like, just tell me. We're married. You're stuck in it. It's fine. Do I sound like a girl? And she's like, well, you just don't have a very, like, deep manly voice. I was like, okay, stop talking. Stop talking. It was like insecurity coming upon me. I'm not kidding. The other day I was in the truck with a student and we put up to Chick-fil-A and I was like, what you want? He's like, I want this. So I told him and then I said what I want. And they said, oh, thank you so much, ma'am. And I was like, <sighs> and the guy looked at me and goes, you weren't lying. I was like, no, bro, it's true. It's a real fear that will never, I always have hope. I have just the slightest bit of hope when I pull up. I'm like, God, today's my day. You're going to set me free, bring freedom to my life. <laughs> nope. That'll be 1172, ma'am. Thank you so much. <laughs> There's a married man in this car. He's coming around to get his chicken sandwich. Thank you. It's a fear, it's not your problem, it's mine, I'm sorry. But we all have different fears, and, and I was looking up some, of, some, some weird fears, and just thinking about fear, it's the feeling, our condition of being afraid. And there's some weird fears out there. There's a, a, a fear called leninophobia. Don't know how to spell that. The fear of string. It's interesting. Chorophobia, the fear of dancing. Some of you don't have that fear, and you should have that fear because your dancing is terrible. I can't even pronounce arachibutyrophobia. Have grace for me. Fear of peanut butter sticking to the top of your mouth. That's why you got to pour like a large glass of milk with every PB and J. Nomophobia. Fear of not having your phone. Come on, have you had that fear before? A couple weeks ago, a guy walked in and he'd, he'd walk down this aisle and he goes. Bro, and I was like, I didn't know him. I was like, do you okay, man? He goes, my wife can't find her phone. And I'm like, I found it. Here you go. Like, I just found this random big pink iPhone. He was happy. Thank you so much. I was like, you're welcome. I saved your marriage. Phobophobia, fear of having a phobia. Ompophobia, whatever. Fear of belly buttons. It's interesting. Uh, I think Pastor Mike has this fear. It's called my pleasureobia. It's the fear of Chick-fil-A closing down forever, and it never... never I'm just kidding. Pastor Mike, if you're watching, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm sorry. But about a year ago, uh, I realized that my son had a fear. And it's a very serious fear. We, we've looked into counselors and talking to people and looking to, to paying for this stuff to get taken care of. But I want to show you a quick video of what his, his fear is. Hey. Say hey, everybody. Hey, buddy. Say, look here, Eli. Hey, look at the camera. Say, miss y'all. Miss y'all. Uh oh. <laughs> it's just a bug. It's just a bug. It's just a love bug. Hey, buddy, it's just a love bug. It's just a love bug. You don't feel the love, do you? Buggy. You okay? <laughs>
That's my boy. He gets that from his mama. Brooke will text me, hey, when you get home, there's a spider underneath a paper towel. I don't know if any of you husbands ever get home and there's like napkins everywhere and you're like, what happened here? Like, and there's just bugs underneath. But my son has this fear of, of bugs and it's so interesting because it, it, to this day, he will, sometimes he will be getting dressed. I'll be, hey, you want to wear this shirt? And he goes, that's the buggy shirt. And I'm like, the bug is not in the shirt, bro. Like, calm down. But we all have different fears. And, and the truth is, is to have a fear is not the deciding factor, but the deciding factor is what you decide to do with the fear that you have. Because fear is no respecter of ages or seasons of life or where you've come from or what God has given you or whether you've succeeded or you feel like a failure. We all have different fears. Can I have an amen? But returning to the text of Matthew chapter 14, I'd like to pull some unique points from this story. And while I know this story is a very popular story, I also know that no matter how much uh, the Bible is preached or no matter how much one story is preached, even if it's popular, the word of God never loses its power. And I'm so thankful that we have a, a, a word, the Bible, that speaks to us today. Can I have an amen? So returning to this text, in Matthew chapter 14, verses 24 through 26... It says, meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. But about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. The first point I'd like to present to you today is that fear demands a response. Fear demands a response. Peter feared that there was a ghost in front of him walking on the water. How many know fear will distort your vision? Because of Peter's fear, he was actually looking at Jesus but believing that it was something else. Has fear distorted your vision of the Father? Has fear caused you to see things that they're, the way they're not really are? Maybe it's your perspective is off. You know, as a young dad, I have this fear, and maybe you have the same fear too. Sometimes I have this fear as a dad, am I making the right decisions for my, for my kids? I fear that I may not be the best dad, and, and sometimes that fear will grip me. Or maybe some of you just graduated high school or just graduated college, and you have this fear that all of a sudden, sometimes people will put pressure on you, now it's your time to be successful. And you got this fear, am I going to make the right next step? Or maybe for some of you, you have this fear as you're getting older, am I in the place in life I want to be at based off the age that I am? Have you ever looked at your life and said, well, now I'm this age, have I done everything I wanted to do and am I walking out the things that God truly does have for me? Or I've been working on my business, I've been working on my marriage, or I've been working on this specific degree that I want to get and I fear that I may not see the fruit of my faithfulness. You see, the enemy will use fear to make you see something that you're not really seeing. Think how different this story would be if Peter would have not seen a ghost but saw Jesus the very first time. I wonder if it would have said not in fear they cried out, but in faith they cried out. Fear will cause your vision to go blurry. Or is there a situation or a circumstance in your life right now that God is actually trying to show you something and you've been missing the mark because you've been seeing through the glasses of fear? Fear demands a response. You know, what I've learned is that 
You can either respond out of fear or you can respond out of faith. Fear tells you that you cannot conquer what is in front of you. Faith tells you that you still cannot conquer what is in front of you, but there is a God who has placed a faith inside of you and he's gonna give you the grace, the strength, and the power to come, overcome whatever's in front of you. But it's your choice, it's your decision, how are you gonna respond because fear demands a response. As a kid, we're taught to not talk back. No, you can talk back to your parents? My mama would slap me. How many of your parents got that wooden spoon in between the, the car seat and the, you're like, they start flying. You're like, you better, it's crazy. The other day we're driving home and my son and I are talking and he says, dad, when we get home, I want to do this. I said, well, buddy, we can't do that. We got to get dressed because we got to go here. And he said, dad, I make the rules. <laughs> Y'all, I about, I about ran off the road. <laughs> One, because he had like never really talked back to me like that before. And I was like, what do you do? Like, I just remember the wooden spoon. I didn't have a wooden spoon. I was like, just start throwing stuff back there. I said, what? And he goes, you make the rules. And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Now we're going to get dressed. No, I'm just picking. But as kids, we're taught, you never talk back. And maybe even as adults, your boss has put this, this persona on you that when they say something, you don't talk back. You don't question it. But our fear is talking. So why isn't our faith talking back? Because fear demands a response. You may have fear telling you, hey, your marriage is on the decline. Well, guess what? When that fear talks, let your faith talk back too. I know, my, I know my marriage may be in a bad spot, but I believe that God restores. Or you have this fear that your child or, or your son or a family member will never say yes to Jesus. Don't let fear silence the voice of your faith. Let that voice of faith speak up and talk back. That no, my son, my daughter, my aunt, whoever it is, they're going to say yes to Jesus. I don't see it yet, and it does seem a little blurry, but I believe that I'm going to see clearly through the lens of faith and not through the lens of fear. Fear demands a response. Are some of us in this room, we just started getting serious about our relationship with Jesus. And you wonder, if I, if I tell my friends, if I tell my family about my relationship with God and that I'm for real this time, Will it push them away? And you have a fear that because of you saying yes to Jesus will push people away. First thing's this, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting the Jesus inside of you. But if that fear is talking, again, let your faith talk back and say, you know what? I'm gonna believe that my faith will not push them away, but it's gonna draw them in because they're gonna see the change in my life. They're gonna see the restoration in my life. They're gonna see the, the plans God has for me in my life. You gotta speak up, you gotta speak out, you gotta talk back. As you talk back, your fear will begin to walk back. It'll begin to take it, whoa, okay, I can't compete with this. Don't allow fear to cause your vision to be blurry. Why do realtors place a, for, or place a sold sign on top of a for sale sign? They're simply saying, hey, this house is no longer on the market. It's no longer for sale. Don't allow fear to occupy a place, occupy a heart, occupy a mind that has been bought by faith. You got to talk back and say, no, 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 I am, I am going to respond because fear demands a response. And what is my response? My response is faith. But if fear demands a response and that response is faith, I want to talk to you on this second idea, this second point, that faith demands a sacrifice. In Matthew, as we continue this story in verse 27, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. 
Take courage, I'm here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. I find it so interesting, church, that Peter's words were, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And his words were not, Lord, if it's really you, make the wind and the waves stop. But Peter invited himself into the middle of the storm. Fear will keep you in the boat, but faith will put you on the water. Because faith demands a sacrifice. We as Christians, if I can be honest with you, and I've prayed the same prayer, but we as Christians need to stop praying the prayer, God, take this fear from me. But instead, pray the prayer, God, give me the faith to walk in the middle of this fear and get to the other side. You see, God can take your fear from you and the symptoms of fear will press pause just for a moment. The symptoms won't cease completely, but they will press pause for a moment. The symptoms of anxiety, the symptoms of depression, the symptoms of loneliness, the symptoms of will anybody really accept me, all the symptoms of fear, but these are all just symptoms. So you can pray, God, take this fear from me, or you can have the prayer, Lord, I pray that you would give me the faith to walk in the middle of this fear. Because if you pray, God, take this fear from me, they may stop for a moment, but when that fear rises again, guess what? So will those symptoms rise up again. So our prayer, our prayer should not be, God, take this fear from me, but instead place faith inside of me. Why, though? Because God gives the desires, gives us the desires to have the faith we need through our fear. He knows that the absence of your fear is not nearly as important as the presence of your faith. He could take it from you because he's that good. But he's, a, he's an even much better father that he doesn't want to just take the fear from you. He wants to place faith inside of you. He wants you to learn that faith demands a sacrifice. He knows that fear removed without perseverance is like taking cough drops when you've got the flu. It's not going to do much for you. It may make the symptoms stop, but you won't be a different person on the other side. Fear will keep you in the boat while faith will put you on the water. So why do we need faith in the middle of our fear? Because faith demands a sacrifice. And in order to have big faith, you have to leave behind some very small comforts. We give Peter such a hard time for sinking, but he would have never had the opportunity to sink if he would have stayed in the boat. I know we, we pick on Peter a lot. Oh, Peter just sinking again. Oh, Peter speaking up and shouting out dumb things again. No, no, no. Peter got out of the boat, though. He's, he would have never had the opportunity to even fail, to even sink, if he would have stayed in the boat with the other guys. He would have become a victim of his fear. Because 11 men stayed in the boat while one man got out of it. 11 men let fear keep them in the boat while one man said, I have just a little bit of faith. Will it place me on the water? Lord, if it's really you, don't stop the wind and the waves, but tell me to come walking to you. He invited himself into the middle of the fear. The exact same story in Mark chapter 6. It's the same account, the same story. It says that Jesus was walking on the water and intended to pass them by. That just baffled me this week. That Jesus was walking on the water in the middle of their craziness and intended just to walk right past them. You ever been in trouble and you're, somebody sees you and they're like, how you doing? You're like, can you help? Can you help me out? 
Jesus intended to walk right past them, Mark tells us, because Jesus will never force his way into the middle of your fear. But Peter cried out in the middle of his fear, Lord, if it's really you, let me walk on the water to you. Your fear should not make your voice get lower. Your fear should actually make your voice get higher and louder. And in the middle of your marriage that seems to be struggling, let your fear not diminish what you're trying to say, but let your faith speak up and say, Lord, if it's really you, let me walk to you. Lord, let me come to you. You see, walking across, standing on this stage requires no faith because I know the solidity of this stage. But walking on water requires faith because <laughs> it's not firm. It's not a strong foundation. So Peter invites himself into the middle of the storm to meet Jesus, knowing he needs faith to walk on the water. But the water beneath him was very, very loose. But the man in front of him was very, very strong. Peter had no foundation except the foundation that was standing in front of him. And a lot of times we get surrounded and we think, I'm just worried about this. I'm just worried about this. But if we could look up and know that our foundation, our strength, our grace, our power, everything we has is not around us. It's in front of us. Because faith demands a sacrifice. There was one man who learned about that sacrifice. There was 11 men who stayed in the boat. They didn't learn about sacrifice that day. You see, the boat represents everything that Peter could control, and the water represents everything that was out of his control. Standing in the boat represents the natural, but Peter stepping out of the boat represents the supernatural. Faith demands that you sacrifice feelings and hold on to your faith. See, your feelings identify where you are, but your faith identifies where God is. What do you need to leave behind? What do you need to sacrifice in order to start walking on the water, to get out of this boat of comfort? Some of us in this room today, we need to sacrifice a friendship. And there's been moments in your life where you go to step out of the boat and step into everything that God has for you and there's a friend that you have or a family member that you have and you love them and you care about them and the feeling is vice versa. But every time you go to step out, they don't speak faith, they speak fear. Well, what if this and, and what if that and you don't have a plan mapped out. You think Peter really had a plan? He didn't have a plan. He just looked at a person and said, if it's you, make, me, make a way for me to come to you. And the friendship may not need to be sacrificed forever, but in order for you to get out of the boat you may need to press pause on a friendship for a little while. Because in the end, what did Peter do? He didn't stay on the water. He and Jesus got back into the boat. Some of us in this room, and I'm not about to bash social media. I love social media. It's awesome. But some of us may need to sacrifice social media just for a little while. Because you've been in this season and you're in a boat and God is telling you to step out, to, to go ahead and start that business or reach out to that person or, or start witnessing to your family or begin to speak up at work about what God's done in your life. And every time you go to step out, you get on social media and it reminds you of everything that you're not. I think we need to stop checking our phones so much and start opening the Bible and see what God says about us. Because we can look on social media all day and see what everybody else is doing. Or we can look in the Bible and see what the one that created us, what is he saying about you? Because he says he's going to give you the strength that you need. He says that instead of worrying, you can pray and peace will come upon you. He says you may have plans, but I'm going to order your steps. It says that he's a strong foundation that you can stand upon. 
He says, don't grow weary in doing good because you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up. Let's stop looking in social media and start looking in the word and let's get out of that boat. Maybe something that you need to sacrifice. Maybe something you need to sacrifice is the old you. And when I was preparing for today, this hit me hard. Because I began to think back on my life and look at different seasons and I began to look at different things that I didn't get to do or didn't get to be a part of because I let the old me keep me from the potential me. And you're so close to stepping out of the boat, but the old you grabs the potential you and says, are you crazy? You're going to embarrass yourself. What are people going to think of you? What if you fail? What if you fall on your face? You need to leave that person from 2018 behind. Can we get real this morning, church? Some of us are in this room and things have happened in our lives 10 years ago. And you're still holding on to the old you. You need to leave the person that you once were in 2007. They need to stay behind. Because it has haunted you for the last decade or so. And God is telling you to step out of the boat, but every time you step out, the old you begins to haunt the potential you. And God's saying, if I could just get them on the water, if they'll just cry out and say, Lord, if it's really you, it's really him. He's telling you to do that. I'll never forget, Brooke and I, we were in high school and we had our group of friends. And on the weekends, we would sometimes go grab some food off of Segan and then go hang out at the, at the big three crosses off of Segan. And one guy would bring his guitar and he'd play and we'd, you know, just cut up and have fun. And, you know, boys are, are dumb. So we would take quarters and see how high we could hit on the cross. Sorry, whoever, you know, just having fun. And, and I remember, Brooke, you remember this? It was like a big group of friends, probably 15 of us. And I remember over a year, we were juniors, almost seniors. Over the next year, that group got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'll never forget being out there one night, just her and I, and I, we looked at each other and we just kind of began to talk and say, remember when it was a lot of us? Remember when a lot of our friends used to be in church? Why are we the only ones still here? And it wasn't anything to say about us because we have our own faults and our own failures. But I so badly wanted to reach back out to those friends, knowing that they didn't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. I wanted to reach back out, let's hang out, let's do something. But for a season, I had to sacrifice some of those friendships. I had to leave behind some things in the boat. What is God asking you to leave in the boat so that you can get out on the water? Faith demands a sacrifice, but why do we sacrifice? Because we want victory. And if you want victory, my third point is this, is victory demands surrender. Can I have an amen? amen? Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 30. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately, come on, somebody say immediately. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. And then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Victory demands surrender. So what am I saying? Am I saying that in order to actually get ahead, we just need to be humble? In order for God to take us higher, we actually need to go lower? Yes, I'm saying that in order to have victory in your life, 
surrender must be present. Victory is always preceded by surrender. The significance of Jesus walking on the water can be understood in several different ways with several different meanings. But he is walking on the water and stepping over waves. But why? Like out of all the things he could have done, he's Jesus. If he wanted to to fly to Peter, he could have. But he chose to walk on the water to Peter. I believe that it was to fulfill some scriptures in the Bible. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16, it says, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. He alone, Job 9, 8, says, He alone has spread out the heavens and marches on the waves of the sea. Can I have an amen? Psalm 77, verse 19, my favorite, it says, Your way was in the sea, your path in the great waters, and your footsteps were not known. One of the reasons Jesus was walking on the water was to have these scriptures be fulfilled. His path was in the water and his footsteps could not be known. Why could they not be known? Because footsteps can't be tracked on water. And during biblical times, especially to his Jewish audience, the water represented chaos and it represented death. And in Genesis, the spirit hovered above the water but was not on it. In Exodus, Moses parted the Red Sea and led the Israelites through it. But how? Because he held up the staff that was given to him by God. But in Matthew, Jesus doesn't hover above the water and he doesn't walk through it. He stands on the water showing his power, his authority, and he picks Peter up showing him his sovereignty. Victory demands surrender. Can you imagine Peter fighting the water fighting the wind, fighting the waves. Yesterday we went swimming and got this little vest for my son and it keeps him above water just enough to put a little bit of fear inside of him. He's got to start using his arms and kicking his legs. And I I remember he jumped off the side and I held him for a second, then I let go and he was just kind of bobbing. He was like, dad, dad, dad. He started started getting scared. And I saw his eyes fill up with tears and I grabbed him. And I said, buddy, you can do it. You're just not moving at all. But for Peter, he didn't need to move. He just needed to surrender. Because there was a point when Peter was fighting the water that he had to say, okay, I've got to stop fighting this and I've got to say something. Save me, Lord. And the Bible says that immediately Jesus reached out. I'm so thankful that he didn't say, save me, Lord. And and Jesus waited for a moment, stared at him and looked at him in his failure or just pointed at him and said, you got so little faith, man, just stay down there. But the Bible says, no, immediately he reached up and grabbed him. Jesus, Jesus let Peter sink, but he didn't let him drown. Victory does not demand strength. Victory demands surrender. Can you stop fighting your fears and utter the words of Peter and stop fighting the water? Hey, save me, God. I need you. The stealing of the wind and the calmness of the waves was not the climax of the story. The climax of the story was Peter and Jesus getting back in the boat and them worshiping Jesus and saying, you really are the son of God. Peter went from a moment of sinking to a moment of surrender. You see, the victory wasn't that Jesus 
rescued Peter or saved Peter, the victory was the moment that Peter surrendered to Jesus. And for the first time we see, this is the very first time the disciples say, you really are the son of God. They give him his name. They tell him who he is. And at this point, Jesus hadn't said, hey, this is who I am. Or I'm definitely the Messiah. Or I'm, I'm, I'm 100% God as well. No, no. They had just had teachings and they had seen a few healings. And after all this, this episode happens and they get back in the boat and they begin to, could you imagine the gaze from their eyes upon Jesus to say, you really are the son of God? In the middle of your fear, can you just say, save me, Lord? And he's not going to hesitate, but he's also not going to force his way into your life. So in the middle of your fear, you've got to speak up and say, God, would you save me? Would you help me in the middle of this fear? God, I pray you don't take my fear away. I pray you place faith inside of me to conquer the fear that is in front of me. Because I know on the other side, there's not a ghost. It's my God. And I struggled with how to end this message because insecurity came over me. And I said, God, but if I share this story, they're really going to see my weakness. And God spoke to me this morning and he said, but Paul, if you share your story, they'll see my strength. So about two months ago, I had this, just this kind of crazy experience where I'm at home. I don't know if you've ever just been inside your home or been in your car or whatever it is, and you begin to have thoughts that you've never had before. And I just begin to have some crazy thoughts. Paul, does your life really have meaning? What's the purpose of you being here, Paul? And I begin to have these crazy thoughts. And I remember it went on for three days. And God just kept telling me, just tell your wife. And I said, no, I don't want her to see that side of me. Second day comes and I wake up and I'm trying to work myself into being happy. And we're playing with our kids. And, and I walk outside to put the trash out. And I just thought, why can't I just genuinely smile today? Why is it so tough? And the thoughts begin to come again. Is, are you really supposed to be here on this earth, Paul? Paul, you're a pastor at a church with students who struggle with depression, who struggle with these things, and you're struggling with it. You better get your act together. I walk back in the house. I'm trying to smile. God says, just tell Brooke. I said, no, I can't tell her. The third day comes, and we put the kids to bed that night, and I said, babe, I don't want you to freak out. I don't want you to, to do anything crazy. But these are the thoughts that I've been having, and I don't know... When I look in the mirror, I don't really recognize me because I can't control these thoughts that I'm having. She said, Paul, I love you, but I want you to go in our bedroom. I want you to shut the door and I want you to put on some worship music. And I need you to cry out for you. Don't let this fear grip you. And I said, okay. And like a little kid scared, I went into our room and I shut the door and I put on some worship music and I just sat down. And I began to cry. 
I said, God, I feel like a failure. I said, I've been having this fear for three days and I don't know what to do. And God said, Paul, can you, can you fight back? Do you have any fight in you? And I said, all I have is just a lousy prayer. God, can you help me? Can you save me? He said, I can work with that. And I began to pray. And I said, God, I need you. God, I refuse. I may not feel it, but I refuse to live in this fear. And as I began to pray, I got on my knees. And I said, God, I'm not going to sit in my own thoughts anymore. I'm not going to become a victim of my fear. And as I began to pray, I stood up. And I began walking around our bedroom. And I said, God, I know the enemy's been trying to have a hold in my marriage through these thoughts. I'm going to keep on fighting. Father, I have a three-year-old and a six-month-old. I'm going to fight back through my fear. If my fear can talk, so can my faith. God, my, my, my son will not look at me and see a weak dad, but he will see a humble dad who says, I have a problem. God, I need you. And for an hour, I was just in my room and I was jumping and I said, God, I want my joy back. God, I want my victory back. God, I want my, my happiness back. God, I want my wife to see me and say, I know you're genuinely happy. In that moment, what was I doing? I wasn't becoming arrogant or cocky or prideful. I was just surrendering, saying, God, can you save me? And immediately he reached down and grabbed me. Said, all I needed was that little prayer, save me, Lord. And I struggle to share that, but I know this. If I share my weakness, you will see his strength. And there's some of us in this morning, in our own fears and in our own weakness, you have struggled to come to an altar. You have struggled to share with somebody else. But right now, I need you just to say, God, save me, Lord. Thank you for listening. Take a moment and subscribe so you can become a part of the community here and stay up to date with what is happening at Healing Place Church. For more information about HPC, visit healingplacechurch.org.